0: Good morning. Happy New Year. You look better this year. It's amazing how you've improved. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for being with us this weekend. We're also glad to have David and Cindy Sharpless. They're missionaries of Honduras. They're out of Bay Community Church. Would you guys stand? Let's give these guys a big hand. Thank you for what you do in Honduras. Thank you. If you have your device or your Bible, you can turn to the book of Exodus. I'll start there, chapter 17. I'll end over in New Testament in Mark 1. Uh, the Awakening series, we started the last weekend of 2014. If you missed that, you can go online and pick it up. And we asked the question, who are we? Awakening to who we are as a church. Uh, in this message, the first weekend of 2015, we're going to be reminded of what we have, but we're too busy to use. If we had to take a test today, all of us, uh, and be graded on our prayer life, very few of us would get an A+. Plus. And if you think you would get an A+, plus, you probably need to be forgiven for lying. <laughs> and, but none of us would say prayer is not important. Nobody would say, oh, it's not a big deal. But yet, if we look at our actions and how we allocate our time, you'd think we don't think prayer is important because none of us spend enough time in prayer. If we could only grasp the things that we wrestle with in our daily lives, that they're significantly linked to our times in prayer, then we would realize then that we are too busy not to pray. We have to learn how to make prayer a regular part of our lives. Prayer has a direct and immediate impact on the battle of life. Now, let me share with you a story that Moses God told Moses to write this down. Moses is the first guy to write in the Bible the first five books. Uh, God told him to write down uh, this story. It's in Exodus 17. It's right after the children of Israel had been set free from slavery in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, and here's what happened in verse 8. The Amalekites, this is the enemy, came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now, when Joshua hears that, or any Israelite hears that about the staff, they're thinking, oh, whoa, he, he's bringing the stick. They had to think, why is this stick so important? You, you know, the first time God encounters Moses, he was a shepherd. He appears to him in a burning bush, and he says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. He kicks them off real quick. And then God says to Moses, what's in your hand? And It's a staff. It's a rod. It's a stick. God says, throw it down. He throws it down. It becomes a snake. God says, pick it up. He grabs it by the tail. It becomes a stick. Then God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh. And tell him to let my people go. They've been in slavery over 400 years. He goes and he tells him and he throws the stick on the ground. It becomes a snake. Pharaoh is not impressed because he has magicians that can do the same thing. And so a couple of them drop their rods and here are snakes all over the ground. But here's what happened. Moses' snake eats their snake. And then he picks up his snake. Of course it's heavier now. But, and, and it turns back into a rod. Over the next several days and weeks, he takes that rod and turns the water into blood. He strikes the ground, and the lice come out of the ground. You know the story. There are 10 plagues that take place, and finally the Egyptians let God's people go. Then the children of Israel, they get to the shore of the Red Sea, and there's no way to get across. And Moses, guess what? God asked him again, what's in your hand? A stick? A rod? He says, hold it out over the water. He does. And you know the story. The sea opens. They walk across on dry ground. This stick is huge. If you're an Israelite, you know about the stick because this stick has saved your neck time and time and time again. Now going back to the text in Exodus, Moses said to Joshua, you go to the valley, you fight the Amalekites, I'm going to the top of the hill, I'm taking my brother Aaron, I'm taking my brother-in-law Her, and I'm going to go to the top of the hill and I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray. And as long as Moses kept his hands up in a prayer and, and, and praying, the Israelites were winning. When he got tired and fatigued and started to drop his hands and his arms, then the Amalekites were winning. And so what did they do? They took and they put him on a stone and both on each side would hold up his arms. And and so that his hands remained steady until sunset. And the Bible says Joshua overcame, he defeated the Amalekites with the sword. Now, this is not a one-time event, but God said to write it down on a scroll because I want people to remember. I want want the Israelites to remember. I want Joshua to remember because he's going to be the next leader of Israel. So that day they won the battle, but not because of what happened on the battlefield, but because of what happened on top of the hill where they were praying. So this is the way God begins to lead Israel. Here's what that means to us. What happens on the higher plane has a direct bearing on the things that happen on the lower plane. In other words, what happens on the hill has an impact on what happens in the valley. And the reason God's people, the church, we talked about that we're the church, fail to pray is we don't get that connection. They, they don't connect, at, you know, the hilltop and the valley together. We, 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 we don't see these having a bearing on each other. But you and I, the church, we've got to learn to make that connection. And God makes it clear that on the hilltop, and by the way, the hilltop is, is symbolism, is a type and shadow of the throne of God. So what happens before his throne, God's throne, has a direct bearing on the situations that we encounter in life. The battles we encounter in life, the things that we face in the valley of life, it has a direct impact on that. So God, here's what he did, he chose one place on earth. It's in Jerusalem. I've been there, and, 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 and it's this one place in Jerusalem. Now, the Jews, uh, they have a lot of tradition, and a lot of their tradition is oral traditions that didn't make it to Scripture. doesn't mean they're not true or not accurate. But one tradition says that Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, that on that temple mount where, where Moses went, that, that, this, the center of, that was the center of the Garden of Eden that God put the Garden of Eden there, and that's what tradition teaches. Now, whether you believe that or not, because there's another side of that that teaches it differently, whether you believe that or not, this is true because this is in the Word, that on that Temple Mount is where Abraham offered Isaac, and it's also the place where Jesus would come later and die on a cross. Right across the valley, right there, he's going to die on the cross. So this Temple Mount is a huge place. It's where God chose to put his presence. Now, for us today, we, we, we don't think too much about it because we think, well, God's with us everywhere we go. When I go somewhere, when I'm here, I'm out of town. He, he goes there with me, so no matter where I go, God's there. But to the Jew and the people in the Bible, God's presence dwelt visibly on that temple mount, and it dwelt specifically in a room called the Holy of Holies. Here's what the psalmist said, Psalms 76 and 1. God's renowned in Judah. In Israel, his name is great. His tent in Salem, Salem's the ancient name for Jerusalem, is dwelling place in Zion. Zion's another name for that hilltop that Moses was on. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shields and the swords, the weapons of war. When David wrote this psalm, this is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, look at all the battles we fight. And listen, we won those battles because of our prayers before the throne of God. Yes, we were on the battlefield. Yes, we're having to physically go and fight. But we won the war because of what happened at the throne of God. That's where we win the battles. So what we need to do is we need to learn how to connect those two things. What happens in our prayers is going to have an outcome in what happens in my life. When you think about what went on with Joshua and Moses, you would think that Joshua would get tired. He's on the field swinging a sword, wearing all of this. And you would think, the Bible doesn't record that he's tired and out of breath, but it says Moses is, and, and Moses is praying. And he gets tired, and he can't keep holding up the stick. So he has to have help holding up the stick. Sometimes we fail to realize what a battle prayer is. I mean, it is. It's a battle. And and, and see, let me tell you why we have a hard time praying. We have a hard time making it through a prayer because we get distracted and then we quit or we fall asleep. Jesus' top three guys, he said, it's the night before he's going to die. He says, come go with me. I need you to pray 60 minutes. They couldn't do it. Most of us couldn't do it. They, They fell asleep when Jesus needed them the most because it's very difficult to stay focused in prayer. Listen, your body doesn't even want to pray. It's hard to pray. We, all, we have all kinds of distractions. We start thinking. We're thinking of things we could do, things we should do, and, and it's hard to, then it's hard to find time to pray. But not one of us would say, I don't believe in prayer. We all say we believe in prayer, but for all of us, our talk of how much we believe in it, we actually do very little of it. And, and Let me tell you why. It's because there's a war that goes on, and Satan knows this. Your body knows this. Your flesh knows this. Everything about us recoils in the natural when it comes to spending time with God in prayer and asking him for things that we need. So why is it this way? Why is it this way? When Jesus begins teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, we have to pray. And then specifically he says, you have to pray for your daily bread, which is a need. Now, I, I don't get that. I do not understand that because my kids never had to ask me for their needs. I always took care of their needs. I mean, what kind of dad would I be that, that if I saw my kids' needs, but I did nothing about the needs until they came and asked me about it? So it seems that with God, you and I have to ask him before he helps us, even with the basic stuff. Well, doesn't he love us? Yes, he loves us. He loves you more than you love your children. He loves you more than you love your grandchildren. So why is it then that I have to pray? Well, when you have you, you have to see that prayer is very much a part of the authority that God gave Adam in the beginning. This series is called an awakening. This message is an awakening to authority. So authority—it's connected. Prayer is connected to authority, and it's about authority. Now, go back to the story. When Moses finishes, he built an altar on the top of that hill, and and, and, and he called this place Jehovah Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. The banner he was talking about was the stick, was the rod, was the staff. It was a symbol. It was a battle symbol, a battle flag that signifies authority. And listen, people of all times have done this. When our military goes in, we go in with flags. When the the Plains Indians in in America, when they would go into battle, the women would line the the road and they would would curl their tongue and they would make this incredible high-pitched sound like a war sound. As the men would go out to fight The Arabs did the same thing in North Africa And see all of these these people and people groups They have a battle symbol They have a standard They have a battle cry So what Moses had that day was a symbol The stick was a symbol The staff was a symbol It was a battle flag It was a rod But it symbolizes authority And it was more than a symbol Because in biblical terms All symbols point to something much more powerful and, and, and See, all nations and tribes around the world, they have their symbols. And, 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 but when it concerns the Bible, the symbols are ordained of God. They always point back to something that was real and powerful that God ordained. So when Moses is holding up that stick, it signifies God's authority. Now, you may know this, but I want to make sure you know this. When God created Adam, what he did was give him authority. Prayer is the acknowledgement when God created mankind, what he did was give mankind authority. Prayer is the acknowledgement of that authority. Prayer is the invitation to God to use his power and authority on planet earth. That's what prayer is. Genesis 126, you've heard the scripture. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea, the birds and the sky, over the livestock, over the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. Well, pastor, that just means we have dominion over the animals. Well, Psalms 8 and 4 says, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, talking about mankind. You, you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, God. And you have put all things under his feet. So the Bible says when God created Adam, he put everything he made into Adam's hands. So l- let me let me ask you this. If things can die today, and they can, and if Adam is the one who let death and sin in but because of his sin in the Garden of Eden, he let it in the world. Then, does it not stand to reason that the thing that dies was once under the dominion of Adam? Yes, everything was under his dominion: the trees, the animals, people—all of it's under the control of man. And when God created man, He respected man. He He, he respected. He put this authority in him. He gave him respect. And so here, here's what happens. Tradition says that when Adam was created, he was probably, it was probably the body of a 20 year old. So here he is, he's a full grown man and God, he, he, Adam, he told Adam before Eve gets here, he told Adam what he has to do and and what his authority is and all the power he has that he possesses to stop this, do this and take care of this and, 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 and manage and keep the, keep the garden and all these things. Adam is tempted in the middle of the garden, and God didn't stop the temptation. God could have said to the serpent, get out of here. He did not do that. He didn't step in and get rid of the serpent. He didn't because God gave that dominion to Adam. He gave that authority to Adam. Adam had the authority and the power to run the serpent off. He didn't use it. And because God gave that dominion, God didn't step in and interfere. So listen, here's what that means. It means you have to pray because God will never force his ways on you. You have to pray. And no matter how much God loves you, you still have to pray. Because God has to be invited, and the reason he has to be invited into your valley, into your situations and your challenges, is because he gave dominion to people on earth. He created dominion for people on planet earth. So when the scripture we just read asked the question, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? This points out this dominion extends to mankind and to the son of man who's Jesus. Now, Jesus claims this authority. And Jesus said, I am the son of man. In fact, he says it 81 times. I'm the son of man. Now, there's been a debate going on for centuries about, is Jesus the son of God? And some say, well, I don't know if he's the son of God. He was a good man. He was a teacher. He was a prophet. He was this and this. But if you read through the Bible, you'll see Jesus said it 81 times, I'm the son of man. So I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, you didn't help us out with this debate because you keep calling yourself the son of man. And that's what people say. They'll say, well, he was just the son of a man. So why is it, Jesus, that you keep calling yourself the Son of Man? I don't get this. What's going on? If Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man 80-something times, then there is a reason for it. He isn't denying he's the Son of God. That's not what he's doing because if he's not the Son of God, we're all in trouble. That's not what he's doing. He's the son of God. So is he half God and half man? No, he's all God and all man. And somebody said, well, that can't be. I know we'll have to figure it out when we get to heaven. There are just some things we're not going to figure out here. So you're wasting your brain energy doing that. It's like, how can the three gods be one God in the Trinity? How can that happen? I don't know. We'll, we'll, We'll get those questions answered when we get to heaven. But Jesus was all God, all man at the same time. He came here to earth. Stay with me. Watch where I'm going. He came here born of a virgin. God put Jesus in the womb of Mary. Jesus was born here on planet earth, and he never made light of being born on the earth. In fact, he bragged about it 81 times. I'm the son of man. I'm the son of man. In John chapter 5, verse 26, watch what the scripture says. For as the Father has life in him, that's Father God. In other words, he has life in him. His battery never has to be recharged. He never has to get more gas, okay? He, he, he has this life in him, so he granted the son to have life in himself. So Jesus got the same thing. Jesus never has to have his battery recharged. Verse 27, and has given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. So he gave Jesus authority. Why? Because he's the son of man. Jesus over 80 times says, I'm the son of man. And, and now we just read God gave him authority. Why does Jesus have authority? Because God designed authority for people on planet earth. Authority belongs to people. In other words, people should be making decisions about our world and our culture and how how this works and how the diseases and all this stuff. People. And people ought to be deciding, but they're not. Because you see, today we see somebody else who's totally running a lot of the affairs of this earth, and it's not God. I mean, a lot of people think like this. God's got the whole world in his hands. You know the song. He's got the whole world in his hands. Guess what? He's not running everything. We have horrible things happening on planet Earth, from children starving, from diseases, from, from young girls being kidnapped and held as, as sex objects to the highest bidder. I mean, you think God is running everything? Are you kidding me? What's, well, what's happening, Pastor? The Bible says that there is a God of this world, Satan. He's also called the Prince of Darkness. He's also called the Prince of the Power of the Air. And all of those titles that he carries are titles of authority. In other words, someone gave him authority and he's using it the wrong way. How's he using it? To steal, kill, and destroy. He's using authority. Well, where did he get this kind of authority? Luke 4, 5 says that then the devil, Satan, taking him, Jesus, up on a high mountain. This is the New Testament. Shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. And the devil said to Jesus, hey, all this authority, I will give you and their glory, for it's been delivered to me. Watch. And I will give it to whomever I wish. And if you'll worship before me, if you'll worship me, it's all yours. The Bible says Jesus was tempted by Satan. If he can't give this to Jesus, then it's not a temptation. So the devil said, I'll give you the glory of all of these kingdoms. He's saying, I'll give them to people. Jesus didn't yield to the temptation, but you see, you you, got to see how the enemy works. In other words, it's not God who raised up a Hitler. It's not God who raised up a Joseph Stallings. It's not God who raised up an ISIS. It's not God who created all of this. That wasn't God. It was Satan who put these people in power, exalted them because he knew he could use them to kill and hurt people and destroy people. Well, how did Satan get that power and authority? He got it from Adam in the Garden of Eden. Watch what happened. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He looks at his disciples and he says, Hey, guys, be of good cheer. Well, they, they've got an idea of what's going on right now, and they're saying, I don't understand. You want us to be a good cheer, and you're going to die, and this is happening, and this is closing in, and we, we don't get it. And here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, be of good cheer, because I'm going to get the authority back. How can he get that authority back? Listen to me. Here's how. If he could answer it, here's what he would say. Because I didn't sin. I haven't sinned. Never, 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 ever have I sinned. I didn't disobey my parents. I didn't lust at a woman. I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I have never sinned. Satan has not been able to get me to sin, and I have overcome the world, and the world, Satan has no claim in me. Watch, watch. And I was born here. Watch. I was born here. I am the son of man. I belong here. I was born here. In other words, I have authority. I have not sinned, and I was born here, and I have authority. Remember, authority belongs to those who live on planet Earth and that were born here. God gave authority to man. That's why Jesus, that's one reason Jesus had to come to the Earth to be born here, because the authority was given to people on planet Earth, and he wasn't given to demons, and it wasn't given to Satan. Authority was meant for mankind. So Jesus comes to planet earth. He's tempted. He completely resisted. And the first Adam walked for a season with no sin, then he fell. But he's the second Adam, and he, and he didn't fail. He didn't sin. He came to get authority back. And that's why he calls himself the son of man. Wait, though. You know the story. He goes to the cross. He dies on the cross to get back that authority for us. But Satan doesn't know everything that's going on. He, he doesn't know everything. But he starts picking up pieces. He starts seeing some things that happen. They're in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 1, verse 23, it says that there was a man in the synagogue, man in church with an unclean spirit. This unclean spirit cries out, let us alone. But Jesus is there teaching. What are we to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth, did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him. In other words, he closed his mouth. You you be quiet. He rebuked him. Be quiet. Come out of him. The unclean spirit, after he convulsed him, he cried out with a loud voice, and that spirit came out and left. The the people in the church, they're all amazed. So they're questioning among themselves, what is this? This is a new doctrine. What authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey. Those unclean spirits, they go back to Satan, and they report. Hey, listen, we, we've just cast out of this guy. Hey, there's something going on right here. We, you know, and, and so Satan's starting to pick all this uh, this up. And later on in verse, 31 of verse 34, he said that it, the scripture says that he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So he's healing people and casting out demons, but he won't let the demons speak because they know who he is. You see, they weren't always demons. <laughs> At one time, they stood before the throne of God. They're the third that fell with Lucifer and they saw Jesus and they recognized him and they said, Oh, we, we know who he is. And now he, now he's on the earth and we've seen him before. And so, you see, every time the demons saw Jesus, they would call him the son of the most high. His enemies on earth, they they wouldn't call him the son of God. They wanted to kill him because he called himself the son of God. But here you have the demons who say, you're the son of God. The religious leaders wouldn't say it. And so, why would the demons admit to the fact that Jesus is the son of God? Watch. Even today, Satan would admit that Jesus is the son of God, the son of the most high. But the Bible says there's something he won't admit to. In 1 John, it says that Satan will not admit that Jesus came to earth as a man with flesh and blood. Satan will not admit that. He will not call him the Son of Man. In other words, Satan can't admit Jesus is the Son of Man. Why? Because it means that Jesus has authority It means that he is the one who now has the right to rule planet earth through people. It means he's the one who has the right to reach into God's power and bring God's power and release it on the earth to people because he has that authority. So here's what the devil is doing. He's saying, oh, you're the son of the most high. And, and, and all of these demons are going back to report to Satan And they say wait what's going on He's not supposed to be here We know he's coming but it's supposed to be a long time We've got all this time to do this What is he doing here right now Satan doesn't know the whole plan And, 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 and so he, he, he's, he's, Satan's coming in And he's putting all these pieces together And Jesus keeps answering and saying I'm the son of man I'm the son of man Satan will not admit he's the son of man he's, Here's what Jesus is saying I have a right to be here I was born here. Watch, Satan, you don't have a right to be here. You weren't born here. There's not one demon that has a birth certificate from planet Earth. They are here illegally. They're not here with the proper authority. The authority has been taken from them. And listen, you notice how crazy we are right now and obsessed with movies and and TV shows, with darkness and creatures, and they're all portrayed as evil? Well, they got that part right because if it comes from somewhere besides earth, it is demonic. And Jesus said, I'm the son of man. He got the authority back, and he he won it back, and he shares it with us. So how do you get it? So watch two ways. This is how you get it. It's just, it's that simple. Are are you with me? Are you breathing? Mobile? Are you with me? Foley? Are you with me? So, so listen, here's how you get that authority. He got it so he could share it with us. So number one, in order to have authority, you have to be born on planet earth. How many of you were born on planet earth? I'm going to do it this way. How many of you were not born on planet earth? I've had a few aliens in the services, yeah, you got to watch those guys, so in order to have authority, you have to be born here. I think that covers all of us. Number two, in order to have authority, your sin problem has to be taken care of. see that 's why Adam lost the authority. He had a sin problem, he sinned, so your sin problem is it taken care of and listen it's easy to take care of it because of what Christ did on the cross he 'll forgive your sins, you have to ask him. You have, to, you have to repent and say, will you, will you forgive me of my sins? But then they're no longer a problem with God. So if you're born here and if your sin problem is fixed, if you're born here and you're born again, guess what? You have authority. You, watch, you have authority that God designed for mankind to live on this earth. What you, see, he, he, you have to understand that so that when you lift up the stick of authority, you have to understand. But you see, a lot of us have put the stick down. We, we, we don't even think about the rod. We don't even think about the authority that, that God gave you, gives you when you pray. We, we don't see that. But when you realize because you're born on this planet and your sin's taken care of because of Christ, when you lift up that rod of authority, when you lift up that symbol, when you lift up that flag and you're going into spiritual warfare, you have to understand you're doing what Moses did on top of that hill. And let me tell you this, because a lot of times we don't pray because we don't think we're worthy to pray. Do you know that when you go, two things, when you go to pray, if you go to the Lord's Prayer, our Father, when you say our, if you're born again, you say our Father, you have an immediate audience with God Almighty. And let me tell you this, when you get that audience, you're a VIP, You're not a nobody. You're not somebody trying to work in and crawl in on your hands and knees on glass. No, sir. You are somebody. You are in a standing there. You're somebody. All of heaven, God knows your name. The angels come to attention. And then all of heaven's resources are ready to move on your behalf. Why? Because of the authority that you have opened yourself up to. And you see, that's why Satan doesn't want us to pray. That's why he doesn't, that's why he wants to tell us we're too busy because he wants you to keep thinking you're powerless. Well, I'm just going to get by. I'm just going to get through this. We'll, we'll get through this marriage problem. We'll get through this financial problem. We'll get through this health problem. We'll just get through. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just get through. Then you think you're powerless. And he also wants you to think you have no influence. I've had Christians say to me, What will be, will be. You know what that means? That means you think you have no influence with God Almighty who created you and gave you authority. Because when you realize that you have influence, you can speak to those things that are not. You can say to those things that are coming against you through the authority of Jesus Christ, you can say to those things, and guess what? God's power is going to move against them. Listen, we're natural people, God is spiritual. And, and, and what we do is we invite him to come and put his spiritual on our natural settings, our natural challenges. And what do we do? We wear ourselves out on the battlefield. We're trying to do it ourselves. We leave prayer as a last resort. We leave prayer when all hell's broken loose. We don't turn to prayer. And God is saying, he's sitting on the edge of his seat on his throne saying, if you will just lift up the stick and he may have to do to you, this is what I'm doing for you you this weekend. This is what the Lord told me to do because understand there's nothing new in the scriptures, but sometimes we have to be reminded. And the reminder is to you, Hey, what's that in your hand? Hey, what is that stick? Hey, pick up that stick. Hey, pick up that rod of authority. You're my child. You're my daughter. I died for you. You have authority. You just need to come to me. And when you do, I will take care of those things that you can't take care of in the natural. We shouldn't be powerless. But for the most part, the church is declining in America. It's like, well, what's going on? We're powerless because we don't understand authority. We don't understand spiritual authority and how God said it. So, watch. So, with everything that I've said, now that you've heard, maybe now you have understanding, now that we know these things, how can we not take our challenges to the Lord? How can we place natural things above spiritual things? How can we just keep putting the natural hand to it? Just keep on the battlefield with a sword, and we keep fighting that enemy that comes against my house, comes against my blood, comes against my marriage, comes against, why do I keep trying to do it in the natural? Now that I know, no, I've got to get the spiritual involved. How can we ever feel unimportant or insignificant again? Because I'm telling you, he knows your name. He knew you before you were born. And by the way, when you get to heaven, he's got a new name for you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you, and you are not insignificant, and you are not powerless, but you have to pick up the stick, and you have to offer it unto the Lord. You have to go on that hilltop. You have to go to the throne of God and talk to him, and when you do, you have just invited him into your life and into your valley, into your situation, and guess what? He will show up, and when he shows up, everything changes. Yeah. Knowing these things, how can we not realize that we need an awakening to authority? That's why the scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. The next verse says, and my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. When we do that, God's eyes and his ears are attentive to you and your place and your home and your family. The, the creator of the universe, God Almighty, his eyes and ears are honed in on you when you lift up that stick and that rod. Listen, you're not powerless. And many of you have children, you have family members, you have friends. But know the Lord. I, I've asked you going into this year, to, to we're going on a Daniel fast starting tomorrow, 21 days. And you can check that out on our website. But I ask you to make a prayer list of the top 10 and list everything but leave number 10 and put five people in that slot. Listen, we declared next, this year is the year of salvation. People come in the Lord. It won't happen unless we pray. It, it just won't happen. But when we pray, it'll happen. And you let God do what God does. Listen, you, you came to the Lord because somebody was praying for you. That's right. Somebody was praying for you. You came to the Lord because of somebody's prayer. I'm telling you, it's time for us to pick up the stick, church. It's time for us to pick up the stick. Let's quit looking at the negative. Let's quit focusing on the negative. Let's pick up the stick and focus on the authority of God and walk in it and live in it and watch God change our house and our family. Yes. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you so much for giving us authority. And may we take that authority and operate in it as you instruct us so that the enemy that comes and we do battle, that, Lord, we know the battle is won because of what takes place on the hilltop, because of the prayers, not because of our energy, not because of our intelligence, not because we work harder and harder and put our hands on it and swing the sword more. No, the battle is won because of you. The battle belongs to you. Thank you as we go into this new year that you reminded us, what's that in your hand, Bay community? What's that in your hand, sir? Mother, what's that in your hand? It's a stick. It's a rod. It's a staff. Lift it up and invite me in to your warfare and I will Rule and reign in your life. Thank you, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.